Blog Talk Radio. everybody and welcome welcome to the 561st edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team and other fabulous moments. You get your daily reading from me and other writers over at Red Bull News Network. But as always, this show will be on the topic of American soccer. Chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. Now, as we get ready, of course, the opening round of the MLS Cup playoffs has come and gone with some exciting games all over the place. And, of course, it's always going to be exciting to watch these games whenever, whenever we get to these playoff moments in Major League Soccer, and hopefully somewhere soon down the road, we can get rid of it as soon as we can, but we'll have to wait and see, of course, what happens in the future. And once again, I know people want it now and now and now, but we need to make sure uh, the mechanism is viable and healthy for the game in the USA. Before we talk about the playoffs, let us go ahead and talk about something that we've all been watching, uh, and I have been watching, and that is, of course, the first series of Welcome to Wrexham. Of course, as we all know, Philadelphia native Rob McElhaney from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and Hollywood movie star, actor, and Canadian resident Ryan Reynolds who, of course, have uh, joined together to purchase Wrexham Football Club in the English leagues as one of the five to six Welsh sides that are a part of the English football situation. And, you know, I have to say that the series, after finally watching everything and learning a couple of things that uh, I did not know about when it comes to the leagues below fourth division, which is, of course, Football League Two in England, that there is the FA Cup trophy. I did not know there was such a trophy to be fought for below the fourth division of English football. And being in that final, Wrexham was that unfortunately uh, lost that championship because when I saw that highlight of both Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney celebrating a goal, which sadly was uh, wiped out for offside, um, I thought that was the uh, playoff promotion game. I thought they were finally going to get promoted to the fourth division, but that did not happen. And now, because of them qualifying to go to the FA Cup, and congratulations, Wrexham, uh, 
It was a 1-1 draw at Blythe on the road. The replay was uh, this past uh, Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday evening in Wales. Wrexham defeats Blythe at the at the uh, race course ground, three goals to two. They made it not just streaming on ESPN Plus cause because of the series because of the series on FX and of course streaming on Hulu. Welcome to Wrexham, the show. Wrexham was able to be seen on ESPN2 both days in an FA Cup qualifier. An FA Cup qualifier. As everybody knows, U.S. soccer now showing Open Cup games every single round. Now no longer on ESPN, which we all believe it will be going to um, Turner Sports, of course, with their uh, new television contract with U.S. soccer to broadcast all U.S. soccer games home and away, with the exception of, of course, Gold Cup tournaments, uh, road World Cup qualifiers, uh, as well as as well as CONCACAF Nations League semis and final, because the nation, those national networks of CBS and Fox Sports uh, are going to be showing those games, including those World Cup games that will be coming four years down the road. So Turner Sports will be basically doing home matches and road matches and friendlies and, of course, home matches in World Cup qualifying, not this upcoming cycle, but the cycle afterwards. And as great as the Open Cup tournament has been getting more and more promotion, you know, visible promotion, and we all know that the streaming is the newest thing and the latest thing to discuss and show our matches, and of course we all know Major League Soccer is moving to Apple TV Plus starting in the 2023 edition season. Now you have to ask the question to U.S. Soccer. Why is ESPN showing an FA Cup qualifier on ESPN2 qualifiers at the time on ESPN. And this is where, once again, I'm happy that the sport is being recognized in this country. Without a doubt, I am happy that the sport is being recognized in this country. But once again, and, and, you know, look, I'm not saying I'm guilty of it or I'm not guilty of it. Look, I look, I love the sport. I watch any league anywhere, either on my television or through my streaming platforms. I love the game. I'll watch anything, anywhere. Thing in the U.S., anything in Canada, Mexico, our regional confederation of CONCACAF, Europe, 
We all know how popular the UEFA Champions League is. Thank you, Paramount Plus, CBS Sports Network. Where is the love of our game in this country? Yes, I understand everyone will fill up the stadiums for the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team. I understand that. But once again, it's our leagues that are having a problem filling the stands. Not the newer ones, but some of the older ones. People ignoring what's going on. What have I done besides this show? I could have done a Red Bulls only show. I could have done just talking about the Red Bulls, Red Bulls 2, the academy players, this and that and this and that, anything and everything Red Bulls. No, I chose to basically talk about everything. Yes, I have a Red Bulls hour or a Red Bulls segment. But I'm also talking about the game itself in this country. Anything and everything MLS, anything and everything USL Championship, USL League One, Two, NISA, whenever I get the opportunity. And yes, I would love to make it five days a week. I could, I definitely could make it five days a week. But, you know... The unfortunate thing is I am a one-man band. I do not have a producer to schedule guests to come on this show. And at the same time, guests will not come on because I will not get cooperation at times from some of these clubs, not just in MLS, but in USL as well. Not all of them, but some of them. Because I'm not ESPN, I'm not CBS, I am not NBC, nor am I Fox Sports. And I hope one day it will change, that everyone can come on this show and their clubs and everything else. But once again, ladies and gentlemen, once again, why can't we get Open Cup qualifiers on national television broadcasts. Where is the respect this cup competition deserves and needs? Where is that respect? Nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. This game in this country needs to have a lot more respect. And I understand your con, you know your 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 complaints and your gripes and your arguments. Until that happens, until we get aligned with the international calendar and until we go to promotion relegation right off the bat, everything will fall into place. Well, guess what? It won't fall into place until there are other issues that gets resolved. 
And until those issues get resolved, meaning every club in the professional leagues and every club in every league gets their own stadium and does not pay rent to facilities that they don't own, and at the same time, when we get a real governance of the game by the U.S. Soccer Federation, that is when everything will be right as rain. Because once again, there are certain situations that must be fixed and certain situations that must be amended. Because I'm telling you right now, if we don't get majority of these leagues to, for their clubs to play games in their own stadiums, we're still going to be arguing over the same things. And all I'm asking from all of you, whether you are pro or against, and I understand how you feel. I understand how you feel. Believe me, I want the same things. But we have to support the game in this country. In spite of the jerks and the bastards of U.S. soccer from the board. Their ignorance is not bliss. It is terrible and disgusting. Those are the things that need to be fixed before we move on and say we can invoke promotion relegation. Until then, we must stay where we are. I know you don't like hearing it. I know you don't like the patience of it. Believe me, I understand your, you know, your, your point of views, but that's where we need to be before we make that gigantic move to where everyone else in the world uses those mechanisms the proper way. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be the MLS Cup Playoffs first round review show. Uh, we got great guests tonight. Um, we're going to have on Scott Hinney from Big D Soccer of SB Nation. We have uh, from the Austin Chronicle, Eric Goodman, who covers Austin FC. We also have Christian Miles, radio announcer for the LA Galaxy in a recorded interview. And my first guest tonight in a recorded interview, he's doing his show right now, but I was able to sneak in a couple of minutes with Michael Andrew from Blue City Radio as New York City FC defeated Inter-Miami, three goals to nil, and, of course, now the retirement is official for Gonzalo Higuain. So here is that recorded interview right now. The American Soccer Show, as we are going to review the 2023 MLS Cup playoffs in the opening round. Joining me right now from Blue City Radio, the one and only Michael Ander, as NYCFC defeats Inter-Miami three goals to nil. Michael, welcome back to the show, and i got to say, that was a very clinical match, even though nothing much in the first half, that second half was, was very good from uh, the city in blue. Yep, Dan, thanks for having me on, really appreciate it, and, and you said it very well, it felt like a tale of two halves, felt like Miami did a good job controlling NYCFC, 
I think it was just a matter of NYCFC getting familiar with this uh, with this formation and how they wanted to play. Let's not forget that uh, in the Atlanta game the, on decision day, NYCFC lost their starting striker in Talish Magno, and they lost their uh, starting right back in Tavon Gray. Uh, Tavon Gray obviously was filling in for Anton Tenerholm, so it's good to see Anton back and doing what he did, and he was very uh, effective yesterday. But uh, having Magno out definitely uh, caused NYCFC some challenges, and it, it forced the goals to come from other places, and that's what we saw in um, in last night's game, those first two goals coming from uh, Gabby Pereira and then Maxim Morales. You know, i got to say... Um... I was going to actually go and ask you, you know, losing Tati Castellanos in the transfer market really, I thought, might have really hampered New York City's chances to get on a roll for a possible repeat. But so far, it looks like it seems to me that they finally got their act together and now they're back to where they should be. Uh, yes and no. I, I think it, it well, it, first of all, I agree with you. It did definitely derail NYCFC's chances for, for a repeat. Where Nick Cushing got it right is switching to a back three uh, with uh, Alexander Callens, Maxime Cheneau, and uh, Thiago Martins. Because you saw it in both the Campeones Cup game and against Red Bull, having Alexander Callens be able to, to, to move up the field and be part of the attack really confused uh, defenses, and it, it gave NYCFC a, another way to attack. And we even saw it again last night in the, uh, in the Miami game. Kevin O'Toole, who's, who's technically playing the, the left wing back in a back five, he, he didn't have a lot of defensive responsibility. Uh, so it, it, NYCFC is really allowed to, uh, the players on the field are able to, to move into the positions they feel comfortable with based on the... Uh, the, the, the amount of defending they have to they have to take care of. No, that's amazing to see when you make a switch like that and things get back to normal, I guess. But, you know, it was really looking good for them. You know, that early sequence in the first half, um, I don't know how Inter-Miami did not put the ball in the back of their own net. Twice they either NYCFC nails the woodwork or twice Inter-Miami helps NYCFC nail the woodwork on their own goal. I mean, I thought there was going to be calamity right in their own area. Yeah, it was, it was sloppy. It was, it was definitely, uh, that's what NYCFC does well. It is it forces difficult situations for defenses. And um, it, it, NYCFC was close, but uh, not close enough. And I think that's what you see from a, a player like Bear, who stepped in. Again, he was the, the striker in... Um, in 2019, 2020, but then he, uh, you know, he, he had the, that injury that, that that hampered him and kept him out most of 2021 and uh, 20, the early part of 22. What uh, what Abair did when he came back is he just hasn't been as clinical, and that that chip in the first half is one of those sequences. And then the other one you're talking about is probably the Martinez header off the uh, off the set piece. Um, you know the, the corner kick that that again hit the woodwork. Should you know should have probably gone in the net, but it was uh, it was exciting enough. No, it really was, and of course, great crowd at City Field uh, to watch them get that victory and everything that's been happening so far. Uh, do you have a sense that this team is able to make a big run to get to the final? I mean, regardless of. Who are they going to face? I mean, let's be honest with, with ourselves right now. Montreal, which will be your next opponent, 
is definitely going to be a very tough nut to crack, especially up there at, uh, I don't think it'll be at the Olympic Park. Uh, I mean, it will be, but it will, I don't know if it'll be at Statsapudu. It might be indoors at the Olympic Stadium. But still, though, Wilfred Nancy has been amazing since taking over for Thierry Henry with that club. I, I think uh, Montreal is going to be a very difficult time. I, I heard uh, Sam Stasekel talk about it on the uh, Grumpy Pundits this morning. This is going to be probably the best, one of the best games of the entire playoff run because of the way these teams like to play each other. And uh, both teams like to have the ball. Both teams are very uh, uh, very talented and, and can contest the, can, uh, control the ball for long stretches of time. I think the thing that makes me feel more comfortable going into this game was the uh, the freedom that Orlando had in their first-round game against Montreal. Again, if Orlando was able to put that, uh, those first three chances on target, they're probably getting walking into halftime two, two, uh, two up. And uh, Montreal was able to just uh, get lucky enough to have Orlando you know, miss the frame. And uh, they, only, they only really got one clear chance, and that's uh, what Coney was able to put away. I think NYCFC's defense is a little bit stronger than, um, than Orlando's. And I think their attack is a little bit more clinical than uh, than Orlando. So I think it's going to be it's going to be a tough battle. I, I don't disagree with you. I think Nancy has done well, but let's not forget NYCFC went up to Montreal right after Tati Castellanos left. Uh, it's a, it's an interesting uh, con, you know, uh, consequence of a coincidence, but NYCFC's last game with Tati Castellanos was against Miami, and then they went up to Montreal. So look at what they had to do uh, yesterday, defeating Miami. Now they have to go up to Montreal. In that game against Montreal, NYCFC did not register a single shot on goal. It was the first time they were playing without Tati Castellanos. The attack looked miserable, but but Montreal wasn't able to score a goal, and and that game ended 0-0. So now that we've talked about in the first part of this interview that NYCFC has been able to figure out how to score goals, how to to disrupt defenses, I think you know, you, you got to give the uh, the nod, even though Montreal's uh, the home team. Give the nod to NYCFC for having the advantage. No, very true, and I think, uh, like I said, I think this is going to be a very interesting matchup uh, this upcoming week or weekend, depending on when the game is scheduled, which I think it will be on Thursday. But once again, uh, we'll have to wait and see what will happen. But I agree with you. I think this will be a different match, especially for NYCFC. I mean, even for Montreal, I think there could be goals. We'll see what happens. Do you feel Nick Cushing has saved himself from being sacked or at least being demoted back to assistant if they did find someone new to take over? I, I think the next two games are going to tell the, tell the tale. Uh, so, again, Philly plays uh, Cincinnati on Thursday. NYCFC travels up to, to Montreal uh, on Sunday. They'll play Sunday at 1 o'clock. I think it's imperative for Cushing to get past uh, Montreal, and then let's see: can he get him back to a to an MLS Cup final? Can can he uh, can he repeat and get and win an Eastern Conference championship? I think him winning an Eastern Conference championship and and getting them back into the finals is a huge um, is a huge success, and that will definitely save him the uh, keep keep him in that role. I think if he if he uh, loses on Sunday or loses in the next round, I think it's a little bit easier for NYCFC to say, "Hey, we gave him an opportunity, but it just didn't work out." 
and we, we also have to factor in there's a lot of uh, turnover that's going to happen on the, on the player side. The big free agencies with Anton Tinnerholm, Alexander Collins, Sean Johnson. And then you have uh, players that have options like Santi Rodriguez and Talish Magno. That, based on the way they're playing, there's a lot of talk that they could get uh, picked up by some European clubs. So uh, let's see what happens. But I, I, I'm, I can't answer that question now because I, we really have to see what happens in the next game, maybe two games. In your mind, how does Maxi Morales look out there right now? Because, I mean, him and Castellanos were basically, you know, thick and thin out there. They were absolutely brilliant together. And then, you know, going back to Castellanos being, you know, going out on the transfer window, has he looked like he's regained his sense to be that important cog in the attack? Or do you think he's still a little more lost than before? No, 100%. I think he's, he's figured it out. And last night, his goal was probably the best, one of the best examples of that. Uh, I believe it was a 19-pass sequence from NYCFC leading up to, um, to Morales getting that, that goal. Uh, he looks fresh. I think NYCFC has done a really good job of managing his minutes and also finding the right pieces around him to where he's not, uh, not having to, to uh, put that much defensive effort in. in. I mean, that's usually a a luxury reserve for a number 10 or a striker, but they figured out a way to, to have enough uh, enough pieces around uh, Morales, and that's part of that back five that I talked about earlier, where Morales can sit there, he's got five defenders behind him, he's got a, a defensive midfielder next to him, and he's got that freedom to roam. It doesn't mean he doesn't work on the defensive side, but he doesn't have a defensive responsibility as if he was in a double pivot uh, playing playing a dual six with somebody. He's got that freedom to roam. He can chase when he wants, but it, it keeps him fresh. And he definitely is still a guy who, talent-wise, can pull the strings. We saw this. Um, he had a great uh, pass for an assist in a – I'm trying to think what game it was. I think it was against Orlando. I think it was the game before, um, before decision day against Orlando. Uh, a single pass that unlocked the defense and uh, led to one of NYCFC's goals. He's still got vision that makes him one of the most dangerous players on the field, and I think that's going to be the key looking at the next two opponents. Uh, are there going to be quality players? Uh, and you look at Mihailovic on, um, on, on Montreal that are going to have that type of quality that can match uh, what Morales gives. Um, obviously, New York City FC officially ends the career of Federico Higuain, um, excuse me, Gonzalo Higuain, I apologize, Gonzalo Higuain, uh, the Argentinian international. Uh, you know, how strange is it, you know, how many great legends have played in MLS uh, going all the way back to Carlos Valderrama, of course. Uh, we've seen more recently Thierry Henry, Tim Cahill, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, and David Beckham. It, you know, what was it like to see that happen to where he really... You know, he already announced his retirement down in Miami before the season ended, and uh, New York City FC made sure not only they get the win, but they kind of gave Higuain a send-off of their own. You know, I think the, uh, the, the positive side of it was, let's not forget that halfway through this season, Higuain was being criticized league-wide for his lack of effort in certain plays, and Phil Neville did the right thing sat him down, gave him some rest. I think they, they leaned on uh, Jorge Campagna a little bit more to, uh, to, to, to 
give Higuain some time to reset his mind and get himself ready for uh, for his retirement. And I've got to say, credit to Higuain. I mean, he gave a hard 90 minutes last night. Uh, that, that could have been a situation where the uh, the emotions got the best of him, and towards the end he might have um, – Start, he might have started to shut down, but he, he competed. And he did put a ball in the back of the net, albeit offsides in that, um, in that first half. But it was, a, it was a solid performance. The thing that was ironic about seeing his, his career end against NYCFC was thinking back to our, um, Andrea Pirlo and his last season with NYCFC because there was a – Iguain's final kick of the ball was a set piece from about 30 yards out – and he took the time, got his, um, you know, got the ball right, set right, and launched it into the, uh, you know, into the upper deck of, uh, of well, actually into the, into the, into the stands at, at City Field. And Andrea Pirlo uh, wasn't playing a lot in his uh, last remaining games with NYCFC, and his last game, Patrick Vieira gave him uh, an opportunity to come on, uh, almost like a, uh, a curtain call. And Pirlo's passing and, and touch was horrible because he hadn't played. So it was uh, kind of ironic to, 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 for NYCFC fans because they saw Pirlo, this great master, come up short in his last game. And uh, there they are watching Iguain at the same. Yeah, definitely. We'll see what happens down the road, of course, for NYCFC in the playoffs. And we'll see how, uh, how big they can continue on trying to defend their championship. Michael, thank you again for your time. I appreciate it. And I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot. And I had to throw in one last piece. If you watch the video that MLS Soccer put on, as we talked about NYCFC ending the, the uh, career of uh, Gonzalo Higuain, the coach next to him at the, on the field is uh, Jason Kreitz, who came to a city field in New York only to lose again. So. <laughs> yep. Good old Kreitz. For, for having me on. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. All right, and uh, that was Michael Andor from Blue City Radio uh, uh, covering New York City FC as they win their match against Inter Miami by final three goals to nil. Uh, Now we move on. Club de Foot Montreal was hosting Orlando City, and Montreal at home at the Stade Saputo gets the 2-0 victory over Orlando and uh, eliminates the uh, Open Cup champions of 2022, and what can you say about the job that Wilfred Nancy has done for Montreal? And, of course, you know, there are whispers going around Canadian soccer right now if uh, John Herdman uh, is no longer going to be the head coach of the Canadian men's national team, that maybe Nancy might take over for the way that he has... Uh, gotten Montreal to be a dangerous side in league play. Mm-hmm. So we could see possible, well, we're not going to join into the speculation just yet. Uh, Canada still has to play their group games in the FIFA World Cup. So we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen there. But um, right now, all you can say is, is that, uh, there's a lot of positive things going in, you know, going on in Canadian soccer, especially in MLS. So we'll have to wait and see what will happen there. But once again, uh, these are interesting times for Canadian soccer, especially for Montreal. Montreal uh, has been a very, very uh, 
I wouldn't, you could say dominating force. You could say they've been uh, dangerous out there, especially at home at Stad Saputo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it, it has to be said, since he took over for Thierry Henry uh, at the club, he has been amazing. He has been strong, a uh, good, strong-willed coach, and he's done a lot of great things to make sure that Montreal uh, remains strong and remains um, uh, a very dangerous side, especially going into the MLS Cup playoffs. So we'll see what happens uh, since they are the lone Canadian representative in these MLS Cup playoffs moving forward here. And big goals, of course, in the uh, 68th minute, Ishmael Kone, who scored a great goal to break the deadlock to give the uh, home side a 1-0 advantage. A lot of yellow cards being dealt in this one. Very hard, nose-fought match here uh, from both sides. And then, of course, uh, through VAR and uh, through um, tons and tons of stoppage time uh, with cards and injuries and stuff like that and substitutions, uh, it was in the ninth minute into stoppage time in the second half and because of VAR, uh, they awarded a penalty to Montreal, and it was Jordi, Ma- uh, if I can once again, i got to pronounce his name correctly, Mahalovic, Jordi Mahalovic, the Chicago native, who was able to take the spot kick and buried it into the back of the net, and that gave Montreal the 2-0 advantage that they were looking for and got. And so they are the ones who are advancing into the next round as they take on New York City FC, and they will host them over at Stad Saputo. Or depending on how the weather is, they may move it nearby to the uh, Olympic Stadium, former home of the Montreal Expo. Of course, the Olympic Stadium where they play their home games to start the season due to the weather in Canada. Uh, Unfortunately, when the weather is not uh, cooperating up there during the winter months, and of course, it's normally hockey season up there. So we'll have to wait and see when uh, and where in the area of the Olympic Park the match will be played, either outdoors at Stad Saputo or indoors at the Olympic Stadium. So we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen over there. But once again, this is uh, a very big moment for Montreal. It is a very, very big moment for them to get an opportunity to advance into the playoffs. And this should be a good matchup, you know, Nick Cushing taking on Wilfred Nancy in the technical area. And it's going to be an excellent time, an excellent time. If you are a uh, a big proponent of playoff soccer, especially uh, with those two teams facing against each other in this huge opportunity, huge, huge opportunity uh, moving forward, of course, with the uh, playoffs moving on and moving forward. You know, once again, they have a solid foundation under uh, Wilfred Nancy. Uh, 
um, who I don't know how overlooked he was, honestly, in Montreal. Uh, don't know how much he has been um, avoided uh, for this opportunity. But when Thierry Henry stepped down, uh, basically the club gave him that opportunity and he's run away with it and he's been doing an excellent job of putting Montreal into a position to be strong and to be dangerous. They have grown very, very well. They have done very well. And so far, you know, a good mixture of uh, French Canadian uh, players, American players, English Canadian players, um, you know, other players coming over from Central America um, as well internationally, of course, outside of the CONCACAF region. Um, Nancy has done an excellent job. And I got to say, you know, he has been a revelation so far and he has made Montreal a lot more dangerous than what they have been in the past. They've had their, their years, of course. You know, they've had their spurts of growth. They've had their moments where, you know, they've had a decent season, but nothing to show for it at the end. Or, you know, they had a poor start uh, building into a decent middle and then finishing off, finishing it off uh, with a flourish, but unfortunately just not able to get to a final. Uh, and, and when they do get to a final, that unfortunately they uh, fell out of favor and they f- uh, fell at the end of it. And of course, that's when they were qualifying for the CONCACAF Champions League, of course. Well, remember that one or two years they were in the final and uh, could not defeat uh, a Liga MX side to win that title uh, at the time. But, you know, once again, um, Nancy has done the job. I I really believe that, you know, depending on the situation with John Herdman, if he decides not to leave uh, the CSA, the Canadian Soccer Association, and he decides to uh, remain there, then, you know, Montreal, by all means, Montreal deserves to have Nancy there. But if John Herdman does find another job in world football to become uh, a head coach somewhere else. It could be England. You never know. Maybe the Welsh could be anywhere in the UK. He could even take a job somewhere else, you know, maybe in Europe or uh, in Asia or or hell. I mean, mean, you know, when when it comes to someone like Herdman, Berhalter uh, does not remain as head coach of the U.S. men's national team. And let's just say U.S. soccer wants to go get him to bring over John Herdman. By all means, go get him. Because he has proven, amazingly, he has proven he can do the job in the men's game because he's been proven in the international game right now for both the men and the women. That's without a doubt. He has been very much proven in the international game, mostly for the women, but now what he's done for Canada, for the men. What he has done has 
basically is it speaks volumes to what he can do on the international level. And if he can, you know, find a way to get our players to play that on that compete level to move forward and get the wins that our national team players need to get, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Because as we all know right now, U.S. soccer is not going to hire Jesse Marsh and they can take him out of Leeds. He's never leaving Leeds until, um, you know, the time is right to go or if Leeds sacks him. So let's just get that clear right now. He's not leaving Leeds, Jesse Marsh. Um, Peter Vermees is not leaving Sporting Kansas City. He will remain their head coach and sporting director. And if he decides or if he decides to step down from one of those two jobs, that's the only way he's not going to be a head coach or he's not going to be a sporting director. I mean, basically, Vermees is running the club. And, you know, granted, this has been a bad year for him, but this is the only bad year he's ever had as a head coach. So I don't see Vermees leaving Sporting Kansas City. And I don't see him going anywhere unless Sporting Kansas City not just sacks him as a head coach, but sacks him as a sporting director. He's got to be done with both positions. Or until he feels like his time is done, then he'll leave. But I don't see that happening. I really don't see Peter Vermees uh, leaving anytime soon. I really don't. So we'll just, you know, we got to move on from there. And we are going to see what will happen moving on downwards to this opportunity for Wilfred Nancy. As now they're going to take on New York City FC in the playoffs in the next round, uh, the semifinal round of the conference playoffs, I say the quarterfinal round for the MLS Cup title. So we'll see what happens moving forward, and we'll see what will happen uh, when those two sides will go at it with each other. And uh, we'll just have to wait and see. There's nothing much you can say, nothing much you can do. And um, it's just one of those moments where it's going to be a big, big moment for uh, Montreal to try and win a league title if they can. Toronto, of course, has done it twice, excuse me, once, uh, winning the uh, MLS Cup championship over the Seattle Sounders. And then, of course, of course, uh, many Canadian championships that they have under their belts. Unfortunately, no CONCACAF Champions League titles. But once again, it is going to be very interesting to see where Wilfred Nancy will end up, depending on what uh, Canada does in the World Cup, 
this upcoming November. It should be exciting. It should be a lot of fun. And I know it's going to be exciting and uh, a great time when Canada is going to be in the uh, in the World Cup. And I can't wait to see what's going to happen in the World Cup myself. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, cannot wait to see what's going to happen there. So we shall see what will happen. And uh, we shall see what the situation is going to be when we get to it. So uh, let's all hope that for uh, Canada, it's going to be a good one for the World Cup, and we'll see what Montreal does in the playoffs. So um, we'll have to wait and see what will be the result. So as we continue on here with the show here, we're going to talk about the next playoff match, and that was... Of course, Austin FC outlasting Real Salt Lake 2-2 draw through regulation and extra time, but victors in the penalty kick shootout. And joining me right now, uh, the gentleman that covers Austin FC is Eric Goodman from the Austin Chronicle. Eric, good evening and how are you? I'm doing great, Daniel. How are you? Good to talk to you. I'm doing very well. Doing excellent. Thank you very much. Boy, what a roller coaster of emotions it was for Austin FC. That had to be the most nail-biting uh, playoff soccer match and the first ever, I believe, playoff soccer match in Austin FC's history. Yeah, you know, they kind of delivered the, uh, you know, as good as it gets from, from the very beginning. I don't know if, you know, if Austin FC could exist for 50 years, might never top uh, an MLS Cup playoff match with that much excitement and drama. Uh, you know, the two goals to nil comeback, obviously going to a penalty shootout, and then, you know, seeing, you know, a player who really has, you know, stepped up and, and taken the opportunity presented with club over the last two years and Brad Stuver going, you know, from a career backup to, now really a folk hero here in Austin uh, it was pretty special to see. It really, really was. But I have to say this. I, I mean, I mean, you've seen it. We all know him. We all are aware of him and how he's been able to score goals. But Drew Reese has been more than sensational for Austin. And how? Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote a column uh, just today. Submitted one, or you know, I. I you know, saying that, you know, he is, you know, you hear this phrase now these days, like he is him. I mean, that applies to Drew Ucy more than any athlete I can think of. I mean, when when you talk about what you want, what any team in any sport wants uh, from their star player, it's the kind of uh, mentality where they don't, you know, the moment is never too big for them. And, you know, at, at when you need them the most, they are there. And Drew Ucy, when Austin FC needed him the most and then they needed a goal, they needed somebody to even track back defensively and initiate some counterattacks and create chances. I mean, he's there, and he's there at the penalty spot when, you know, yes, they're, they're fortunate to get a penalty in, in stoppage time of, of the uh, of regulation time. Uh, you know, it, it seems like they're about to equalize, but you still have to have a player step up and convert, and he does that. And not only that, he goes back to the penalty spot in the shootout as the first man, and, and he scores there. Uh, it's just, you know, 
teams could go decades searching for a player dependability and that kind of personality. And Austin is just very fortunate that, you know, in their second year, actually midway through their first year is when he arrived, that they found that guy. Yeah, it really is amazing. When they got to the shootout, I mean, did Josh Wolf, you think he already penciled him in, or do you think Derisi said to Josh, I want the ball first? It sounds like, uh, you know, they, you know, and Josh Wolf is, is, you know, he comes from kind of the Burhalter coaching tree. So, and it's all about preparation and, you know, a lot of analytics. I, I think they had their order uh, pretty much set in stone before the match even began. Obviously, you, you adjust based on who's on the pitch uh, after substitutions. But, um, I mean, I like I liked the decision. I'm of the camp where you put, uh, you know, your best taker first and make sure that, uh, you know, you get off, you know, to, to the right start. So I was not surprised to see him go up there and score first and then, but you are, I do think the, the taker is always at a disadvantage when they've had to take a penalty against the same goalkeeper earlier in the match. He ends up going the same way. Uh, the keeper who guessed wrong the first in, in the, you know, regulation time penalty kick, he guesses right this time, but it's just too far in the corner that it's an unsavable penalty. It's exactly what you want to start off a shootout, and it got the crowd going crazy and, and I think contributed to three pretty poor quality uh, RSL penalties that followed. As you said, Stuver, Stuver was unbelievable. I mean, yeah, poor penalties, but still, though, Stuver's got to make sure he's uh, right in there to make those stops. And uh, what an amazing! I mean, I haven't, we haven't seen three misses in a row in a very, very long time in penalty kick shootouts, whether it's league play or international wise. You know, the second his second save, you know, he um, he he saves. He could have saved the very first shot where RSL did score. He, he dove straight over the ball. So, you know, that one got through despite him guessing right. Makes a pretty comfortable save on the second one. And then the the third attempt by RSL, you know, Stuver dives the right way but kind of dives beneath the path of the ball. And instead of saving with the lower arm, which is, you know, what you see the majority, you know, that's how goalkeepers tend to save the majority of shots. He goes with his upper arm, his left arm, and just tips it right onto the bar. And, and I think by the time it, it settled, you know, five seconds later, it felt like, you know, a foot away from the goal line. It was one of the most remarkable saves I've ever seen in a penalty shootout. And, and once that ball didn't spin in, you know, once it stayed out, I think everybody in the stadium knew who was going to be advancing into the uh, Western Conference semifinals. Exactly. How big, though, that second yellow card to Rubio Rubin was? I mean, going down to 10 men, I mean, Salt Lake really did not need that. And I felt that was the advantage that Austin needed to get that second goal, obviously through the penalty. But still, though, that was a big advantage. And and it boggles the mind to even think about what Rubio Rubin is thinking in that moment. He I obviously forgot that he was on a yellow card. And, this, and, it, and it's a ball that you know, even even if you're not on a yellow card, there's no reason to, to lunge for it. It's it's long past, you know, Stuver's right there for it. He's cleaning it up. It's not a scoring chance, or at least it's not a not a scoring chance close enough to where it's worth risking that. And credit, you know, we I asked him after the match, uh, you know, if he knew that Rubin was on a yellow and, and, you know, what he thought when he saw Rubin coming at him. And he said that at halftime, uh, Austin FC, they discussed that, 
Rabin and Justin Glad were both on yellows, and, and they made sure every player was aware that, you know, if there was any kind of opportunity to draw contact, that they make sure, you know, that they know that those two players are at risk of getting sent off. So Stuver makes himself big. He takes the contact intentionally and, and draws, you know, puts RSL down to 10 men. And I think, that, you know, that's an underrated, but, you know, when you talk about goalkeepers, what they can contribute, over the course of a match, especially one where they're not making a lot of saves. I mean, that's as, as clear a contribution to Austin FC advancing as you can get from your goalkeeper. Absolutely. What do you think Josh Wolf has done differently in this second year, unlike what happened in the, in, in the expansion year, in the inaugural year? What do you think he's changed that's gotten Austin FC into this great season they've had from start to up till now? It's it's really tough to say because Josh Josh Wolf's a stubborn guy and and you know if you'll ask him he'll tell you that he hasn't done a lot differently. I mean, obviously the roster's better. Um, you know you look at some of the lineups uh, they were they were rolling out you know with multiple starters in the eleven that are no longer in MLS. Uh, it's it, that clearly is is the biggest difference. But um, you know I think he's he's adjust he's in-game adjustments have gotten a lot better and you know that was kind of on full display against rsl he brings in three attacking substitutions i didn't love his starting 11 but i did love the fact that he wasted no time uh at three attacking subs uh and and you know totally changing it up and i think that's a credit to the experience that he's gotten and the growth that he's gotten over these past two years yeah, I mean, he's been incredible so far, and I like what I've seen from Josh Wolf and how he's gotten his teams to go out there and uh, play some really smart uh, soccer. And we'll see what happens down the road, you know, in his coaching career, but right now I like where it's going at the moment, where his trajectory is going to be. This will be the first time, in my opinion, where – FC Dallas is not going to face the Houston Dynamo in the playoffs. It will be against Austin, and uh, you're going to be hosting FC Dallas uh, in the next playoff match. Is everybody licking their chops already? Is, are all, all the fans in Austin ready for this interstate matchup? 100%. And I, I honestly don't know. I, I honestly think it's a little irrational how quickly – you know, especially, and it's all online because we're all on Twitter and that's where this, you know, really boils over. But, you know, there really is a, there's true bad blood beneath, between these fan bases already. Um, you know, they play for the Copa Tejas trophy down in Texas. It's, you know, it goes to whoever the most successful of the three Texas clubs is in matches between those Texas clubs. Um, and in both years, it's come down to Dallas versus Austin in the final match. Uh, the first year Dallas wins it at Toyota Field, um, you know, lifts it with Austin FC, you know, walking to the bus. And then this year, despite not actually beating Dallas, it, it was just two draws. But um, based on what Austin did against Houston, you know, when it, they were able to raise the trophy, and it was an interesting situation where Dallas didn't give them the opportunity to do that in the stadium. They Austin FC actually had to raise that trophy and have their moment in the parking lot. And I think that – you know, is is a narrative that people around this town are, are you know, bringing back and, and, you know, saying, you know, kind of do it, do it for that day out in uh, Frisco where they made us, where they kicked us out of the stadium and made us raise the trophy in front of our bus. <laughs> 
<laughs> they can't handle the truth. <laughs> so I got to say, that's amazing. And, and uh, I mean, obviously, Austin has been around before, USL, um, Aztecs, uh, the Bold, now Austin FC, you know, PDL size, now USL League Two. Um, in your mind, has, has this been the best soccer the entire state of Texas have seen from MLS all the way down to MPSL? I, you know, I can't claim to be an authority on, on the lineage of Houston and Dallas, you know, and since, you know, since they've existed and they've obviously been around, you know, a long time in this league. But I don't think in terms of a cultural phenomenon of soccer, obviously, you know, Austin's off the charts in that regard. And in the way that it, it's, it's number one in Austin. I mean, there, there are no other major league sports teams in Austin to compete with. So this is truly, you know, what people rally behind. And, you know, you, you can't walk around Austin right now, especially this time of year and not see plenty of Verde, um, you know, it's something that I always kind of figured would be the case as soon as, you know, these tweets from pre-court started floating around in around 2017. I had a feeling it would be, you know, kind of something that MLS has never seen before. But, you know, to kind of see it all play out and, and that stadium is, is never not completely filled. Um, and it's it really is a cultural phenomenon. And it's, uh, it's very fun to kind of document and witness and, and write about in my case. No, oh, it's great to hear. And. What do you think uh, is going to be – I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you did watch the other playoff match with FC Dallas and uh, Minnesota. I mean, what are we going to expect here with these two Texas teams? What are we expecting from both Austin and Dallas that's going to be the – Yeah, I mean, obviously both going, you know, to shootouts. I think, uh, you know, in Dallas's case, because they didn't have the luxury of playing against 10 men, uh, that was a, a harder – fought 120 minutes I think they are the more tired of the two teams but you know both teams are going to have a full week um you know I wouldn't expect that to be the difference uh I would say it's interesting you know Josh Wolf played a defensive lineup against RSL you know which isn't you know look at at goal scored they're they're not you know at the top of that list and, and he was already playing kind of a cautious approach FC Dallas is a much more dangerous and threatening team especially on the counter-attack so uh, it'll be interesting to see how Josh Wolf tries to approach that. Um, and I think Dallas will go in there feeling confident that with the speed that they have on the wings, that, you know, they can, if they can just withstand, you know, the if they can contain Drewsi and withstand, you know, some of Austin's attacks, that, that they'll be good for a couple goals on the counterattack. Yeah, I think that's going to be what's going to happen there too, and it should be a lot of fun. Eric, listen, good luck in the next playoff round. Hopefully uh, Austin will do it, and uh, can't wait to talk to you uh, the next time uh get you on the show. Thank you again, and have a good night. You got it, Daniel. Go Knicks. <laughs> Go Knicks. That's Eric Goodman of the Austin Chronicle. Of course, a native New Yorker, but works down in Austin, Texas. Uh, to cover Austin FC and Austin Sports Collegiate and otherwise. So it's going to be a lot of fun here. And, uh, you know, we're seeing some great soccer here in the playoffs, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll get more better competition moving on down to the next round of it. So uh, cannot wait. 
cannot wait to see what's going to happen. And uh, it should be a lot of fun moving on down. So we're going to get ready for that one. Uh, and we are about to get ready for uh, my next guest as we wait for uh, Mr. Scott Hinney from Big D Soccer of SB Nation covering FC Dallas. As, uh, boy, penalty kicks galore. Penalty kicks galore as we uh, get ready for another big playoff game. As, uh, once again, FC Dallas, they took on Minnesota United FC, and that one, as I've already said, went into penalty kicks as we get ready uh, to discuss that with Scott, just waiting for him to give me a call to see, uh, you know, what he saw. And uh, it's going to be uh, a lot of fun. And uh, boy, you got to say, it's uh, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh it's going to be interesting to see because this is going to be a huge playoff win here for FC Dallas and uh, everything happening uh, mostly in the second half. Uh, Reynoso for Minnesota made it 1-0 in the 53rd minute, but then you would like to think it was going to be uh, Ferreira uh, that was going to bury that ball. And uh, once again, uh, Quignan uh, leveled it about 11 minutes later to make it 1-1. And it was just amazing to see. Joining me right now from Big D Soccer of SB Nation is Scott Henney. And Scott, uh, Toyota Stadium, it's happening. A big playoff victory. What did you see from your end? Yeah, hey, Dan, thanks for having me back on the show. Uh, it was a, a wildly electric game in the second half and extra time penalties. First half, I think, was a little bit slow. Both teams sling each other out. But, yeah, the second half, that game, that stadium, really, I don't think in my experience there it's ever been so electric, perhaps equaling the 2016 Open Cup final. But, really, yeah, it was a very awesome, very tense environment. Um, I thought it was like a lot of nervous energy from the fans, especially, you know, once Minnesota took the lead, but um, FC Dallas came back, tied it up, and then ultimately, you know, bested them in, in PK. So it was really just a great match all around. Um, you know, both teams had their chances in, in the second half to, to find the winner. But I think, you know, it's probably a, a fitting overall result for Dallas to just have barely edged them out. No, oh, absolutely. I, I have to say this, and and I'm and when I say this, I'm being sincere about it. To see Toyota Stadium filled to the hilt, from the first row all the way to the back of it, um, that was enjoyable to watch. I was so happy mm-hmm. that you got a great crowd, sold out crowd over at Toyota Stadium. I know there have been at times. You know, FC Dallas has had issues with uh, attendances, but boy, was that great to see a full house at uh, Toyota Stadium. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I was talking to 
uh, fellow Big D soccer writer Drew Everly leads the game. We were kind of talking about which which day that game may fall on, and you know we, we were both nervous about the game being Monday night. You know it was about an eight eight forty p.m. kickoff local time, so pretty late. Obviously, you know school night, work night for a lot of people. So I was concerned about you know would there be a sellout? You, you would hope so in a playoff matchup, especially first time in, at home in three years. But yeah, the fans really came through, uh, and and they were rowdy from the get go. I, I made my I made my way down to the field right before kickoff, and it was it was just electric from the start, especially on the you know on the end with the supporters. And so it was great to see. I believe that was their eighth sellout of the year, and so certainly yeah, a, a much more positive season for the club attendance wise. After you're right, having some a few years really of, of just, you know, poor attendance showings for an area that, that should have no problem filling up that stadium. No, absolutely. And that was great to see. Um, you know, obviously you're going one, one after regulation into extra time and uh, boy, that had to be a bunch of nerves going all over the place. You had to feel the tension cutting with a knife over there. Didn't you? For sure. Uh, you know, I, I, I was, I was sitting next to somebody working with the with MLS, and we just kept noting how it, it, it almost seemed quiet in the stadium at times. I think because yeah, there was just such a nervous energy. Um, I think the fans wanted a reason to get into it, but you know, you're kind of at some point, you know, you're a little just kind of frozen in time. Again, especially once Minnesota took the lead, you know, it was a little bit of a chilly night, at least for for Texas in in the middle of October, which I think you know fit the scene of playoffs. But I think really once. Once SC Dallas started threatening in that second half, and, and then I was yeah. Once once Keon got the equalizer, stadium was ready for a chance to erupt. You know, almost had a couple chances, especially with the back heel from um, Legit that you know stayed on the line. And then and then obviously once we went to penalty kicks and you know just the wonderful cheeky daring um, connected to to win it from Velasco. <laughs> that Panenka boy, I tell you, I was thinking to myself, did he miss hit that? But then. Um, yeah. I gotta say, when when, when St. Clair went down, you know, I mean, he guessed right, but somehow I thought he just quickly got his arm up, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, he's gonna stop it, isn't he? And we're gonna go to extra right. kicks, but he went, but he just missed it. That was a cheeky, cheeky move to to yeah. hit a panenka, you know, in that moment. Yeah, I, mean, I felt like the ball, the ball floated, floated in the air for, for hours, it seemed like. Because, yes, you're right. I mean, it was hit much slower, you know, probably a little more, you know, towards the middle than he, than he would have liked. And obviously, you know, uh, Hara had had done, done one himself just a few kicks before. So, But, I mean, you know, the way he stepped up, and, and I think the way he always steps up, you know, he, he, on those kick attempts, he's one of those guys, you know, I think back to obviously with FC Dallas, Mario Diaz, where you feel like he is always capable of, of the spectacular like that and not, you know, every club always has that guy. And FC Dallas hasn't really had that guy. And so I think he was a huge difference maker. Obviously last night I, I watched play, I think even outside of himself in a positive way. I mean, he was all over the field. He and Reynoso went at it. Obviously, you know, they had some beef towards the end of, end of extra time. Um, but I think it, it was a, a pretty fitting end for him to end the game and him to end it that way, kind of putting his signature flair on that game. Yeah, I agree with you there. It was amazing. If I can ask you this, what has Nico Estevez done to make FC Dallas a dangerous side? I mean, you've had some great managers here and there for the club, all the way back to the beginnings of Dallas Burn. You know, what has Estevez done? Do you think he's either on the same level or has he gone over that? Yeah, I think it's a couple of things. I think, for one, the roster creation has been a little more, um, uh, I don't know, fine-tailored or tuned with, with 
fits the best coaching style. Obviously, you know, having the roots with the national team and bringing in a couple, you know, national teamers in Ariola and and with Jet, but also getting those guys, you know, it's it's so hard to bring in players from South America or Europe and have them immediately adapt to the league. It's it, players always struggle with that. I mean, even Velasco took it took a few months after kind of starting strong. But when you bring in those MLS-ready guys that have already proven themselves at this level and in this league, it makes it much easier, I think, for a first-time manager to take those pieces and fit them in a way that already makes sense. Again, on top of the fact that already is that built-in chemistry with the national team, and obviously FC Dallas having a very young, homegrown um, core roster that have always, always, you know, spent years and years together. I think you just needed a guy who could put the pieces together in a um, in a way that made a sense. And I think that's something that, that he was able to do perhaps just a little bit more than his predecessor. And I think we saw that, especially um, defensively, just the team looking a lot more solid, a lot more cohesive when there really, you know, weren't major additions made, especially when you consider you lost Ryan Hollingshead. Like, I mean, when I, I think one of the best outside backs in the league, if not perhaps the best, at least Jackson back. And to really not skip a beat, I, mean, I think second in the league and goals allowed. It was a little bit of just, I think, not trying to do too much, not trying to reinvent the wheel, but just using what he was given and creating a system that works with those players. It's complementary with those players. And it's trying to dictate the tempo of a game so that when you have a game like this in the playoffs where you go down one nothing, you're not freaking out because you know we can control the game still. It, 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 it's in our favor to play with the, with the ball with possession and to find those spots and, and make them count. Yeah, I agree with you there, and uh, that's what you want to see from your, uh, your 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 solid side there. You want to make sure everything's uh, basically well-oiled and running smoothly out on the pitch for 90 right. minutes. Okay, now it's time to talk some turkey, and no, we're not talking about Thanksgiving, of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at you're, you're on the road uh, in Austin, the capital city of the state of Texas. Ever since Austin FC has come into play here, and obviously, you know, along with Houston Dynamo as well. What do you think they've brought to the table? And at the same time, this will be the first time both of these sides will be facing each other in the playoffs, and you're going to be doing it at the Q2. Right. I mean, frankly, if we're being honest, I'm a little, I'm a little bit jealous. You know, I think the all of these newer clubs in the expansion, this kind of expansion age, have come in in such an interesting time with, you know, the way that we're able to develop stadiums, a lot more money's going into that. It's a lot more, um, you know, obviously soccer specific, but like just really cutting state-of-the-art type facilities. And then you have uh, culturally, socially, obviously Austin would be a city that was always going to be suited for soccer. I think more than almost any other sport, maybe NBA, but I think soccer is a perfect sport for that city because you have such a melting pot that can just really get behind a team. Um, you know, you know if, if soccer is the, the sort of alternative sport among the major U.S. sports, then Austin is that version for cities. And so I think it's a complimentary fit there. Um, obviously, adding in a third team to the Texas um, contingent in the league and having a third, you know, club for, for rivalry's sake is, is also huge, especially in a year where Houston's down. And so it allows, you know, number two and three seeds in the West to both be from the same state, you know, separated by less than three hours. Um, it's it's a wonderful matchup. Obviously, you know, there's more of that parity with, with LA and LAFC going at it too. And so I think this matchup obviously is, I'm, I'm sure, what the league wanted. Um, no offense to Minnesota United or Real Salt Lake. But, you know, to have these two clubs going at it, um, and, and especially after this year, you know, neither team getting a win, uh, it's it's perfect. I mean, I love it that 
you know, I believe that Austin already has already sold out the game. Um, just with, with today, this is the first day of sales, which doesn't surprise me at all. Obviously, their their fan fanhood has been a one, a plus, all the all the ways you want to say that um, in, in their in their first couple of years. And so, I think they probably deserve a playoff game, and they probably even deserve a second home playoff game. I have to ask you because. Uh, I just took a look here on Google Maps, and it's amazing. Depending on, on which way you drive it, it's either just a little under or just a little over three hours between uh, Austin and Dallas by car. But if you want to fly it over, it's only an hour flight going from uh, mm-hmm. either way. I mean, I mean, it's to me that's like, well, it's not like you know Red Bulls New York City FC where it's just you got to go half a, half an hour to get to each other's stadiums and stuff like that. But still, though. Right. Um, you know that's not a bad distance-wise, time-wise, either way, uh, to go in between. I mean, I mean, you know, how much, you know, chirping have you heard from both sides? Well, I mean, yeah. When you think about it in the scan and the over the entire league, obviously, and, and, and given how large Texas is, yeah. I mean, Austin is. I mean, you know, if you if you don't want to consider Fort Worth or Waco, it's 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 the next largest big city from Dallas, and and so. I mean, it's a huge weekend day trip spot for for Dallas locals here, um, and so it, it is about as close as you can get for a playoff game, and 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 so it's great. Yeah, I think in in terms of this country and how spread out again, how our Texas is. I mean, it's essentially a hop, skip, and a beat away, and so you know, I would be interested in what sales look like for uh, traveling FC Dallas fans. You know, obviously, I'm not sure what those allocations look like. I mean, I think Austin FC would like to eat up every single ticket possible. But you know, when playoffs comes, um, you know, normally you have you have some passionate road fans. So I think that'll be a huge part of it. Um, and I think yeah, we're going to see all week long a lot of a lot of banter, especially because um, Austin FC has never beat FC Dallas in, in MLS play. You know, they've they, as Dallas has won twice, and and then they've drawn four times in their six, six matchups. But FC Dallas has never won at Q2. So I think that there's there's a ton to give here. Obviously, they cannot draw this time around. Um, and you know you have two of the most elite goal scorers in MLS this year, um, and so I think it's really going to come down to perhaps the guys around those players, you know, having having their moment. Guys like Velasco having the game he had last night. Yep, I agree with you there, and that should be a lot of fun, and it should be exciting. All right, Scotty, look, good luck uh, with the playoff match against Austin. Hopefully, it'll be a great one, and I will talk to you again soon. Have a good night, and thank you. Wonderful. Thank you, sir. Appreciate talking to you. You too. Same here. That's Scott Henney, a big D soccer from SB Nation covering FC Dallas as they're going to take on Austin FC in the playoffs. Now, uh, unfortunately, uh, he couldn't make it live tonight, but that's okay. Uh, we recorded this interview. And, of course, this is a good friend of mine from the days of Fox Soccer Channel. And, of course, now uh, doing radio work for the Los Angeles Galaxy. And uh, also with Pac-12 Sports, with Spectrum Sports LA, here is the one and only, my good buddy, Christian Miles on the recorded interview as the LA Galaxy defeat Nashville SC by a final of a goal to nil. Daniel Feuerstein back here on the American Soccer Show as we review the MLS Cup playoffs in the opening round this past weekend and, of course, last Monday night. Uh, join me right now on the LA Galaxy's victory over Nashville SC in the playoffs. 
radio voice of the LA Galaxy. It is Christian Miles. Christian, welcome back. Hope you're doing well. And what a victory for the LA Galaxy against Nashville on Saturday night. Danny, first of all, it's about time. Good to be back with you, my friend. And yes, it's about time for the Galaxy as well to get back into the winning ways as far as the postseason is concerned. Just, you know, the first time since 2019, they've been in a postseason, the first home playoff game going all the way back to 2016. It wasn't the prettiest of performances. It wasn't the most comprehensive of victories. But as they say in the football world, a win is a win. We're moving on. That's right. You know, I have to ask you this. When you found out at the uh, end of decision day uh, last weekend on Sunday that the Galaxy was going to get paired up with Nashville, we, we all know Nashville has been a very solid team since coming into MLS from USL Championship. What is the daunting task that the Galaxy had to do to prevent Nashville at least getting a solid chance on frame? Because obviously Hanny Mukhtar is the, one of the most dangerous strikers in the league. When I was about to control the midfield, and I thought the Galaxy did a really good job of that in the second half. I thought they came out flat in the first 15 minutes, a giveaway from Bond. Couldn't really conjure up anything. And, I, you know, they gave ample opportunity for Nashville to, to see the advantage. And, you know, Nashville, for the most part, will really, really inept, I thought. Didn't offer much going forward. Um, not to say they didn't have their chances, but... Um, you know, it's part of the, the performance that I said wasn't pretty for the Galaxy, but they did just enough. But the Galaxy, uh, from their perspective, have to be pleased with this because Nashville is a team, you know, the defend-first approach. They like to bunker down, hit on the break, and go direct. And it's not really a complex approach that they adopt, and it's given teams fits. And they are difficult to break down, and they do defend like Lions back there with Anunga as well as, you know, Walker Zimmerman at the heart of things. But... I thought the Galaxy did a good job, and, and they've been able to show some proficiency breaking down teams that sit in and, and defend in a low block, and it, and it helps when you, you bring in some world-class signings like, like a Ricky Bouge as well as the Uruguayan Gaston Brumman, who just absolutely transformed this Galaxy midfield, and I, I believe them uh, to be a legitimate title contender right now with the way things are on current form. And, you know, when your club has not been in the playoffs for the last two to three seasons, and obviously there was that one year where we all thought they were going to go, and then the Dynamo shut them down over at, at the time, BBVA Compass Stadium. Uh, you know, that was a heartbreak to see the Galaxy not getting into the playoffs. But now that they have, um, probably a better performance after the first opening 15, as you said. Yeah, much better. I mean, the Galaxy were, you know, almost there, but lost, you know, on a tiebreaker last year in 2021 to Real Salt Lake, who got a bit of a farcical decision on VAR to put themselves in the postseason. So the Galaxy had that extra bit of motivation in that regard. That's he's been the target all along. Uh, hey, look, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It wasn't a pretty performance, as I mentioned, and there's a lot of deficiencies. You know, the, the Galaxy were easy to get out. They looked questionable. Uh, they didn't have. A, it wasn't an assured defensive performance from them. Um, but now they have match winners. And, you know, we know Chicharito is going to get his goals. And the problem with Chicharito is finding consistency this season with the adequate supply line and having to create an impetus behind him. And now we have that with the signing of, of Pouge and, and Brumont, who entered the fray in the midseason. 
uh, more so the effect of Pooj going forward. He has been transformative. I, I can't loud his contributions enough. The way he can change the angle on the attack and run at defenders, um, it can ride a challenge, get stuck in. He's a good two-way player. It, it kind of goes unnoticed on the defensive side, but what he's brought going forward has just been absolutely fantastic. It has uh, changed things in almost to a revelation level right now. I think the Galaxy, you know, they're, they're getting their goals. They've only lost once in the last 11 or 12 games. They can just manage to find that solidity at the back and um, you know, not give away silly chances uh, and, and, and start in better fashion than we saw over the weekend. I think they're going to be just fine coming up on Thursday against the, the noisy neighbors. Yeah, absolutely, and that should be a fun one. Julian Arujo, uh wow, he's the one that scores the goal. I mean, many would have said Chicharito. Uh, anyone else on the Galaxy side, and didn't think a, a right-sided fullback would be the one to bury that ball to make it 1-0. That must have been uh, a great moment for him to carry uh, that burden off the shoulders of not just his teammates, but all the Galaxy supporters. And it's such an odd goal to score, especially when, you know, service came from the right-hand side, and Timmy Grossier in a position where normally we find Julian Araujo in, Rao's made his bread and butter and just you know, roaming up and down that touchline with chalk on his boots. Um, and, but he was on the opposite far post, and uh, he said he couldn't believe that he was that far unmarked and was the simplest of headers in. Uh, first goal in two years for uh, the Mexico fullback. So good to see him off and running. It's been a difficult season for him individually because he hasn't replicated the feats you know, we saw in 2021 when he was amongst the best and you know kind of checked all the boxes. Uh, he's you know, had some problems kind of integrating into the new system and some new personnel um, with Raheem Edwards coming in, being a similarly-minded fullback on the opposite side. And it's kind of, you know, affected Araujo's ability to get forward. But now he's been given full freedom. He's been encouraged by head coach Greg Van. He says, hey, I want you to get forward. I want you to play with the freedom. I want you to, to make those runs. And, and we're seeing Julian Araujo, I think, here in the last five or six games that we saw throughout 2021. In your mind, Greg Vanny so far in his first season, first, second season with the Galaxy right now, um, actually this is his second season, he came over last year, I just got to remember myself there on that point, but what, what do you think he's done so far that has changed things up? We know the success he had in Toronto, um, winning an MLS Cup up there, you know, all the things that, you know, he's done to make them into a strong side, and now coming over to the Galaxy, what do you think he had to do to change up the mindset of the players and possibly as well as the supporters? Because obviously it wasn't such a good year last year, and now you know they're in the playoffs, and now you got a playoff win right now. I think he needed to bring in his own players, and the Galaxy were under a lot of contractual obligations in 2021, and they're gradually shedding themselves of that. And now this team is really taking on the ID, the personality of a Greg Vanny team. For me, there's two major components of being a great manager. One is your ability to man-manage and, you know, balance egos and relate to players. I think that's something that Greg Vanny really excels in. Uh, it's the key to getting the so-called buy-in from players. So we'll run through brick walls for you. He's got that with these guys. It, Two, the other major component being, you know, a tactical approach. I, and that's where he really excels. He likes to play attacking football on the front foot, wants to play 4-3-3, and, and is not one of those guys that's going to 
you know, play quickly and get it out wide. He wants to, you know, lead to sleep, press and pull you apart and, and get those balls in and, and, you know, basically pass you off the park. And the Galaxy didn't have the personnel to play that way before. Now we do. And, and while it's far from the finished article, you know, there's some, you know, glaring deficiencies in wide areas for us in the attack. Um, but they're slowly becoming a Greg Vanny team that we saw in Toronto that were so attractive to watch from, you know, back to front. Yeah. I mean, they really look good out there. They look strong, confident now. And uh, right now, I would say the Galaxy, at this point in time, are slowly becoming a, a threat again for that MLS Cup uh, championship final spot. But obviously, there's still more rounds to go. And as we all know, this will be the very first time that the Galaxy and LAFC will be in the playoffs against each other. El Trafico goes one step bigger, and it's not an open cup match. I mean, what are we, expect, what are we expecting here with the Galaxy and the current holders of the Supporters' Shield in LAFC? What are we going to expect here over at the bank uh, in the next couple of days or so? Well, well actually, I, we did face them uh, in 2019 at the bank, and that was during the Zlatan years, and they, you know, I think it was a 5-2 victory. Um, with some late goals, but, you know, that was under Guillermo Barros Esqueloto and the team that's been, you know, completely um, transformed since then and, and reworked in terms of personnel. I, the LAFC are just an amazing team. Uh, they like to get forward. Uh, they play with pace. They like to play at tempo. To, they see the game similarly. Steve Chirinolo does in a 4-3-3 setup. Uh, Chicho Rongo has been magnificent for them. Uh, they've gone through change, but I think they've kind of solidified things at the back, kind of a bit of a, of a lull uh, just before their their last three, two or three games. Um, but I think this is a team that the Galaxy can get at, a team that you know, they can get in behind and, and run in. Um, it's going to be a fascinating midfield battle if you look out there. And, you know, you can think of Ricky Pooj running straight at the heart of their midfield. So uh, I'm big I'm tree. It's going to be wide open. For me, it's the best. It's the best derby in MLS hands down right now. Um, I know I'm biased, but I mean, the, the games are full of goals. There's so much rivalry. Uh, it, it's a proper derby, you know. It, it, but proper derby, I, I'd stack up against any city or region worldwide. It's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun when we walk out of there and move on to the Western Conference Final out of their house. Now, I, if I can ask you this, I mean, I know you, you hear a little bit of the noise from the LAFC supporters, but how's the how surprised are you that Steve Chirundolo quickly turned things around once Bob Bradley left for Toronto? I'm very surprised. And I, had, I know Steve. Uh, I interacted with Steve a lot uh, while he was coaching Las Vegas Lights last year, the USL Championship or Farm Team, if you want to call it, club uh, for LAFC. And I got a chance to look at his philosophy and, you know, he being an attacking fullback back in his days, his many years in Germany, he knew what kind of football he wanted to play, and he, he was playing that kind of football for Las Vegas last year. So you knew they were going to be attractive. It was a good fit for the ethos of that LASC team. I am very surprised to the degree of success that he's had, and it's come so soon, especially with you know a lot of the personality and a lot of the player turnover, and that's a testament to the job that Steve has done. I think he is a younger manager that can relate to the players. They know him. They know his feet. I mean, he's, he's a legend in U.S. soccer terms. So, um, 
I'm surprised the success has come. I knew it would come, but so soon, yeah, it does take me by surprise. But it's ironic that this, you know, LAFC team is looking a lot like the, you know, the 2018 LAFC, 2019 LAFC team that were you know, blowing the doors out the opposition. Not to the same extent as as teams under Bob Bradley, but they're still really resembling it. Yeah, they really are, and I gotta tell you, it's gonna be a bunch of fireworks when we get to that uh, quarterfinal matchup. Uh, against those two sides, and all I can say is the uh, the English representative of the mayor of Hanover is going to give the Galaxy definitely a handful, so we'll see what happens there. But uh, Christian, thank you again for your time. I always appreciate it. Hope to have you back on again soon to talk more footy, and uh, have a good evening, and I'll talk to you again next time. Great, Daniel. Thanks for having me. And that is Christian Miles, formerly of Fox Soccer Channel. Uh, does Pac-12 soccer and uh, LA Galaxy Radio. And, of course, that will probably change when we get to the uh, Apple TV deals. So we'll see what happens over there moving forward with what Christian will do. But uh, hopefully we'll have him uh, again in the future. Uh, and now time to talk about the New York Red Bulls as a fall to FC Cincinnati by a final of two goals to one. Um, once again, Bad luck has bit them in the butt. And once again, uh, just poor defending at the back end of the match. And they get burned very, very badly. First, let's talk about the positive. Even though it was a scoreless first half, I thought they played strong until it looked like they, uh, the back line got lost. Strong first half. Lewis Morgan in the second half scores a brilliant goal to make it 1-0. And then all of a sudden, happened with him. Don't know how it happened. Don't know why it happened. During his celebration, nothing crazy, nothing silly, nothing stupid happened. He runs across the pitch. He does his uh, hand gesture, celebrating with the crowd. And then he slows down and something happens. Still don't know what happened. Don't know why it happened. But Lewis Morgan subs himself out. And you're thinking, we got some problems here. 1-0. Red Bulls. And then later on in the match, Andreas Reyes makes a tackle on the ball, and it's called a penalty. He's emphatically saying, no, 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 not a penalty. Did not take him down. Did not take him down. Go to VAR. Did not take him down. But they kept the penalty. VAR checked. And this is where, from my opinion, even though this match was being broadcasted as well on Univision Deportes and Unimas, I did not see any other camera angles to show me that it was a penalty or not. They only had one camera angle, one camera angle only. And to me, that is unforgiving.
if we're going to dispute that there is going to be a legitimate penalty and people in the MLS VAR office in Atlanta, Georgia is going to say without a doubt it's a penalty or not, where are the extra camera angles? Where are the reverse camera angles? We did not have that. And unfortunately, Cincinnati got the penalty. Luciano Costa converts the penalty to make it 1-1. I'm thinking we're going to go into extra time. Unfortunately, Brandon Vasquez finds a way to the offside trap, or at least to catch the back line napping. And he's fast as hell. And he beats Carlos Coronel to make it 2-1, buries it into an empty net. And with 12 minutes of stoppage time added, the Rebels had at least maybe two to three solid chances to level the match at two. Did not come. And once again in the opening round, the Red Bulls will be limping out of the MLS Cup playoffs. It's not so much that the way they lost, it's just that it's just really, really hard to swallow a performance that was, I would say, a very good performance up until that game-winning goal was converted by Brandon Vasquez. Did they play with their heart? Yes. But once again, they were outdone by the front office. They were outdone by Red Bull Global. They were outdone by Dennis Hamlet. And when I'm talking about Red Bull Global, I'm talking about not having Joachim Schneider installed as head of sport, as the director of sport for the Red Bulls, to be ready to go, get some transfers over, shore up the club, because the summer window was a miss, and not just a miss, it was a mess. An absolute mess, ladies and gentlemen, an absolute mess. You brought over Elise Manuel on a loan deal. You bring back Kyle Duncan on a loan deal. Kyle Duncan is now going back to Belgium for Club Bruges, and we don't know if he's going to be playing there or not. We don't know what the situation is over there. Right now, we don't care. Elise Manuel, I thought, did a decent job being here for the amount of time that he was here for seven matches. Scored two goals, all on decision day. Got an assist on a game-winning goal by Lewis Morgan in Montreal. Should have had a goal at New York City FC, but wiped out due to VAR. I thought he did a decent job. Now, the problem is this. Was that decent job enough for him to remain with the Red Bulls? That we don't know. And we will find out, hopefully, when we get to the end of season interviews with Joachim Schneider. 
with Gerhard Struber and with some of the players that hopefully we will talk to uh, through the, uh, the, Zoom, the Zoom chat. But I'm also looking at the front office. I'm looking at Dennis Hamlet. It's nice to see the young players getting the opportunity to be on the club, going from academy to Red Bulls 2 to the senior roster in MLS. And while Lukinas was a very good pickup and Lewis Morgan was an excellent addition, those two needed more help. Because once Lukinia stopped scoring, Serge Nagoma or Elise Manuel, because it was just their starts with this club for a short period of time, more on Nagoma because of the hamstring injury he suffered after scoring his second goal in the season at Austin, and then he pulled up lame. Manuel, he looked great, but I'm not going to heap it on him. The striker department sadly falls onto both Patrick Lamala and Tom Barlow. As good of a guy as Tom Barlow is, and I like Tom Barlow, he's a very nice guy. Truth of the matter is this. He did not score enough, and he did not do much. Patrick Lamala, designated player, only scored five goals in league play, six goals in all competitions when it comes to the Open Cup match against Charlotte FC over in Montclair. Bringing over Patrick Lamala, and as nice of a guy as he is, and as good of a guy as he is, and I think he's a decent guy too, what is the number one job that he has to do that he has not done? score goals he had great opportunities this year either they were wide off the bar or the keeper made the save and unfortunately he was not clinical in his goal scoring moments for the club I know he's on a DP contract but either he gets transferred out or he needs a striker partner with him. Because as of right now, this 4-5-1 is not working for him. Klamala has not done enough, in my eyes, where he should be the standout striker. He hasn't shown enough for me to be that dangerous striker that they're looking for. It's up to now the front office. And at the same time, it's up to Red Bulls Global to inform the front office, go get yourself a real designated player striker. Get yourself a big-name striker. Get someone that's ready to come over and be here for a long time. I understand they don't want to go for uh, Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo because they're probably on the back end, even though both of them would have been fantastic to be a part of this. Maybe Neymar. I don't know. But the point I'm making is that they need to bring in either a big name or a striker 
who's consistently putting the ball into the back of the net like what Bradley Wright Phillips did. And if you do that, you will fix the attendance issues. Because right now, what I saw was absolutely poor. Completely putrid poor. Because why? Because a combination of the fans do not trust the front office anymore. And at the same time, there's not enough goal-scoring production from this club coming from the strikers. Lukinius has done an excellent job. Lewis Morgan has done an excellent job. Um, Daniel Edelman has come up big. Yearwood had a good year. Backline was decent. Carlos Cornell was fantastic this year. But all I could say is, is that if this club is going to be over the hump, they are going to have to bring in somebody to be a consistent goal-scoring striker. Because that is what they're missing right now. Whether you like Gerhard Struber or you don't like Gerhard Struber, the truth of the matter is this. He has been solid. There's some haphazardness with his pressing. But the truth is he's gotten results. But even he needs to step it up as well as a manager. And until then, until then, we have some pieces here. But I'm sorry to say, we cannot force Nagoma to grow up any faster. We cannot force Barlow to be more clinical. We cannot force Klamala to be more clinical. They got to do it on their own. And with St. Louis, Louis City coming in next year, if you're expecting someone to be picked by that club to play for them in their inaugural season next year, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if they let Tom Barlow go unprotected because Tom Barlow is a St. Louis native. I wouldn't be shocked if Tom Barlow went and got picked up by St. Louis City SC. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. But for the Red Bulls, there must be, there must be an opportunity for them to improve the goal scoring department and the striker department. It must happen. If not, then the Red Bull front office as well as Red Bull Global are just basically twiddling their thumbs and just reaping the benefits of the academy products and bringing them over to either Salzburg or Leipzig. They need someone who is a consistent goal scorer. Anyone. I don't care who it is. You want a big DP name? It would be nice. I don't see that happening. All you need is someone who is consistently scoring anywhere in the world, insert them into the press, 
and have them bury the ball 15 to 20 times a season. That's all you're asking for. Someone who's consistently putting the ball in the back of the net and can burn rubber and bury it past the goalkeeper. That's all you're asking for. Someone like a Bradley Wright Phillips or a Thierry Henry or a Clint Mathis or a Giovanni Stavridese, anybody, I don't care who it is. Because if it's not going to happen, then it's not worth it. That's all I'm saying. That's all I want to see. That's all that you have to hope for. Consistent scoring from a competent striker, period. Other than that, the Rebels are not going anywhere. So FC Cincinnati will now take on the Philadelphia Union in the next round of the MLS Cup playoffs. And before I say goodbye... I want to congratulate Memphis 901 FC of USL Championship. They, along with the city of Memphis, have just agreed to build a 10,000-seat stadium at Liberty Park, where the college football stadium is and where the college basketball arena is for Memphis University or University of Memphis, however you want to call it. So, great Great uh, news coming to the stadium developments for USL Championship and American soccer as a whole. I am extremely excited about that. I want to thank my guests tonight, Michael Andor of Blue City Radio, Eric Goodman of the Austin Chronicle, Scott Henney of Big D Soccer, and Christian Miles of the LA Galaxy Radio Network. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care. So long. And bye-bye for now.